Hello, you lovely Bill fans. You are listening to The Bill Podcast with me, Natalie Rolls. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk. We are a top 40 TV film podcast on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Yay! so much for such a positive response to our rebrand, our new theme tune, and to me taking over the microphone. We really appreciate your support. And yes, it is we. Some people were wondering where Oliver has gone. Don't worry, he's still here, producing and editing every edition of the podcast. As I record this, we've just recorded a brand new trilogy with another of my Sun Hill colleagues who I hadn't spoken to for 20 years. To be the first to find out who and enjoy the release six months before its main release, join us on patreon.com forward slash the bill podcast. Loads of bill chat coming up on today's show. But first, are you looking for a good book? The Banqueting Club by George Fairbrother is a political novel that reads like a mix of House of Cards and Yes, Prime Minister. Norman Armstrong and Alf Burton are an unlikely pair of political friends. One is a left-wing journalist who grew up in poverty a man with a national reputation and a sharp tongue. The other is the Tory chief whip and the latest in a long family line of distinguished politicians. A violent argument between the two proves to be the beginning of a lasting bond. But neither could have predicted the extraordinary way this political thriller against the background of 1980s Britain would unfold. From Deck 4 Publishing... The Banqueting Club is now available as an omnibus edition, along with the sequel, Armstrong's Army, on Amazon. Find out more on georgefairbrother.com. Now it's time for part two of my chat with the gorgeous Beth Cordingly. This time we chat presenting... Being recognised, awkward encounters, fangirling, writing, exercising, and how James Bond loved the bill. I, at one point, was going to go up for Loose Women as one of their presenters. My agent, the same as your agent, my agent at the time, said, no, you're not doing that. And I wasn't working, and I hadn't been working, and I was like, why, why? She said, no, I want to keep you on the straight actor route, not the, but I think it's really hard, you know, particularly because people like you and me, like, we really enjoy that presenting aspect of it. We've done a bit of it and 
So that was really hard because I was kind of going, but I'm not working. I'd rather be doing that than waitressing. She was like, no, 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 no. If you go that way, which actually isn't true because there's lots of people that have done these women and it's just Lisa Maxwell did it, didn't she? Yeah, people. Great time. And it helps with your profile and so who knows. Talking of that sort of presenting thing, we did a great job after the bill and we did GMTV and we had to go to Paris, darling. We had such an time. It was some, they were giving away a Mazda, brand new Mazda MX-7 or something. And we had to just go and do a weekend in Paris and drive a brand new car around the Champs-Élysées, you remember? And I made you all the driving because I'm famously terrified of driving. It was great. (laughs) We had some, and we ate frog's legs. Yeah, we went to that place called Grand Oui. Yeah, freeze frog's legs in French, I think. He's just sort of like, chicken there was i know weird. we ate we ate frog legs. Frog legs. this is really weird now could you you'd have loads of complaints yeah. yeah oh we had such a good time that was nice that was yeah. a, a lovely episode out of the norm have you had any of the, those moments where you've recognized someone and thought you know them and then realized they're really famous my ex-husband adam works with loads of big stars because of his job because he's a theatre producer and he does lots of commercial theatre with, he does commercial theatre with all these big stars. And I was always like, why don't you introduce me to these people? And then I realised the reason why he probably stopped introducing me because I would just do mad things because people do. And I've had people do it to me, you know, sort of coming up to me in boots or whatever going, I work with you, I worked with you at the co-op or I worked with you at at the bank. (laughs) And we go, no, I'm an actress. And then people being so mortified that you kind of go a bit mad. And I've had the same thing with, you know, Adam sort of introduced me to Christian Slater because he was doing play with him and I hugged him. I mean, it's just so embarrassing. <laughs> like, I went towards him and I went, you, I said something like, I loved you. I wanted to love you and I did. And then I hugged him and it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said something weird to Matthew Perry and he just, I was just like, just excruciatingly not cool. <laughs> and so when I met Dolly Parton, because the night he did nine to five and, I met Dolly Parton. I was so terrified because she's such a hero. And luckily I was there with Eliza, who's much cooler than me, our daughter. And so I just put her in front of me and we went to meet Dolly Parton. I just was like, just don't speak. Just don't say anything. And so Eliza sort of chatted to her and she loves kids, Dolly Parton. So she was chatting to Eliza. And I, the only thing I said was, she's wearing her rhinestones for you, Dolly. And then I stopped up again because <laughs> she had little gems on her dress. But that was that was my one big like hooray! I haven't said anything. Hug her. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just wouldn't let myself speak to her to the point of probably being quite rude. But I was so terrified I was just going to mess it up. There's just something really strange about those moments. I remember going. I was in Soho. A friend of mine had a voiceover, and I was sort of up to meet her for a coffee. And we were walking arm in arm, as you do, and looking around. And I saw someone that I thought I knew. And I went, oh, I've got to just go and say hello. And I, le- I left Sophie in the street. And I went into this cafe. And there were two people in the cafe. And I, I sort of got through to the table and leant in and went, hi. And then I realized it wasn't the person that I thought it was, who was a really famous ballet dancer. Mikhail Baryshnikov. I mean, Mikhail Baryshnikov. And it, it, in my mind, that was him. And I had to go and say hello. So as I've leant forward, I realised it wasn't him. 
And the woman from the cafe must have thought I was begging or you know, asking for money or something. And she dragged me out the cafe. Oh, my God. And Soph was on the street going, what is going on? What are you doing? I really thought I knew that. <laughs> that was really embarrassing. I did that with, you remember um, Michael Prade, who was the hooded man. Yes. So when we were in our teens, my friend had a poster of him on the wall and stuff. So, And I met him. And again, I was trying not to be weird. <laughs> and he was very flattering and he he was saying, you know, oh, I heard that you've got a double first in English and it's like he'd done some research. And I was so like, oh, wow, he's obviously Googled me or done some chatted to Adam about me or something like he got, you know, he kind of had all this information. And I was kind of sitting there very flattered that he knew all this stuff about me. And then um, there was this pause and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so I said, you were brilliant as Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> me and my friends loved you and he went oh thanks obviously having tried to move on from that and then I went the hooded man <laughs> it was so awful it was awful and he went he literally was, we've been getting on quite well and then he looked at me and then he looked at my ex-husband and he went I'm going to the loo and he left <laughs> there was this pause between me and Adam and I just looked up and went really sorry about the hooded man thing and he <laughs> really went it's right. <laughs> brilliant that is classic oh my god you were speaking about your english degree and your writing you won the double dutch short story competition <laughs> the dutch ambassador presented you with an award of a duchy bicycle still got it it's a bit rusty Have you? I, I was kind of lucky because you had to write something. I'd done a course in travel writing. And so I went off to see my friend Angus in Amsterdam. And then I wrote this story about called the bike ride. Because in Holland, because Angus was like, darling, in Amsterdam, the cyclists have the right of way. And sort of took off on this bike. And I was, it was completely terrifying, just flying a lot. And I couldn't work the bike because you have to cycle backwards to make the brakes work on Dutch bikes. And the whole thing and then he made me eat roll mops and the whole thing was kind of <laughs> so roll mops <laughs> i haven't heard of a roll mop for years a roll mop a normal dish <laughs> what is it it's not a rolled eel is it it's a... herring herring right Blah. so i wrote about that and i think i just got lucky because because you had to have something to do with holland like i'd written about it just as an experiment and then saw that competition and went oh we'll enter that and um they were giving away the bikes, so they probably just thought, oh, this would be fun. You know, we can give a bike to someone who's written a story about a bike ride. And, yeah, the Dutch ambassador then presented me with, with a bike. So, That's insane. I know. It's really fun. And then I did a short story, a Jane Austen, which was in the style of Jane Austen, and that got pub- And I was on a bit of a roll. That got published. And then, because I did a, a MA in creative writing at Birkbeck, which was fantastic, but it took me years and years to finish because I kept getting jobs. Jobs. <laughs> going off on tour and then coming back a year later like the eternal student and then I was writing and that was all going quite well but the problem with me is I'm really hopeless because when I'm not working it takes me a while and then I get back into my writing and I get into a regime whether it's working on a series or a novel or whatever it is and then as soon as I get an acting job I completely stop which is not the way to approach you have to carve it into your day and and make sure you keep it up 
Uh, so when I was commuting up to the globe, I thought, oh, this will be brilliant. I'll do lots of writing on the train. And all I did was sit on Instagram. <laughs> you, I saw there were lots of photos. Probably. Like, I'm on a train. <laughs> Basically, me not doing writing. Hmm, I'll take some more pictures of myself. <laughs> I'm on a train. How interesting. So your short stories, can we find them? Where can we find them? Marianne and Ellie, that was your published short oh, story. yeah, that's in a book. That's in a book? Yeah, it's in a book called Dancing with Mr. Darcy. A bunch of short stories. But I basically need to finish the novels that I'm working on and then you'll be able to read something proper. Whenever we speak and we have, like, droughts, don't we? We don't speak and then we speak, but yeah. you're always finding that time. And you're really good because when you are on it, you're on it and you won't come out for weeks so I know you work in your own way, as we all try and do mm. on our own projects. And you even find time for the NSPCC as well. You do lots of uh, work for them, don't you? Yeah, I used to do loads for Childline, which was a real privilege. At the moment, they're just saying the effects of lockdown for our kids. Mm-hmm. And I know for my boy, you know, he lost 13, being 13 and 14 in the real world. And they've become very motivated by the screens yeah which was thankfully that you know helped them keeping in touch yeah but it's really difficult the other side of it now yeah I really struggle I don't know if your girls the same or if you've found a way but I know the kids now there's a big problem and I think more and more they're going to see the results of what's happened I thankfully my boy's into sport so you know that is a helpful factor but not all kids have you know they're not all in that position that they can go and play and I was talking to a mum about this the other day exactly what you said about how because we kind of had the screen time under because she wasn't that into she's eight we watched loads of television me and Eliza absolutely loads it was actually the second because the first lockdown I was down with my parents and my mum is amazing with kids I think she's actually the reason I became an actress because I realised that when I saw how she plays with Eliza. Imaginative play, she is like the master of. And Eliza says, can we play? She used to say, you know, can we play an imaginary game? And I'd go, oh, can we just watch telly? I'm so lazy. Whereas my mum, you know, I was down there in lockdown. We'd be doing some homeschooling and then it'd be like, break. Oh, it's a break. We want a break. And they'd be tramping around the house. Eliza would have loads of toys with her and they'd be going on a school bus and making you know doing this whole thing or going and sitting in the car and pretending to drive somewhere oh she was really really lucky because I, c- I couldn't have done that if it was just me and her so so she she had that release and she kept up that imagination but then the second lockdown <laughs> it was just me and her we were down in Brighton living down here and and when she had COVID recently last sort of December her whole class went off and that was when it really happened because they were all off and we didn't want them all to be just on their own sitting at home. So we all said, yeah, play Roblox. And they, you know, it is quite sociable because they put their cameras on and they they do FaceTime at the same time. So I hear her interacting and playing. So it's not like she's just staring at a screen, which yeah. is what we've all heard about what it's like. There's positives but, as well. Yeah. There but, are it, positives. but it's hard it because is... it's addictive. They're, those things are built to be addictive. So... Uh, Absolutely. It's a really tough one. Your mum and dad. They're amazing. Your mum and dad. 
Tell me about yeah, your definitely. daddy's writing because he's he's a a pirate expert. He's the world expert, the world authority on pirates. Is that not incredible? That's no, your no, no. Hilariously, he's not. He's more proud of other books he's written, but he is the world authority on pirates. He'd probably say now, I'm not so much anymore. There's there's a couple of other people as well. But he did really fun. I mean, he did like serious books, but he did really fun things like consulted on the Pirates of the Caribbean movie and stuff. And yeah. Just, yeah. How wonderful, Daddy. Which has got and nothing to do with the reality of pirates, really, but it's really fun. <laughs> what a subject to pick as well. And just all uh, that must be an incredible journey just for as a as a daughter and your brother growing up around your gorgeous parents. Was your mum, is, is your mum artistic? Is she? She was a social worker for years. She worked in child protection, which was, yeah. And she did a lot for awareness of child protection in the 80s when just kind of working yeah. with these on signs to look for and those kind of, you know, just when it was, it was still a taboo subject, kind of getting people to talk about it more. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's where my sort of passion for the for child line and that kind of thing comes from because I was around that she's a garden designer now she's always loved gardening and then she yeah in her later years she did a proper big degree in it all and she she's off doing irrigation somewhere today for somebody's garden I've Um, been to your lovely parents garden and it was like being in the Mediterranean yeah just two tiny courtyards in the center but they've made them she's got grapes going across and everything tumbles into something it's really magical This is roles play. Short answers. Okay. Okay. Ah! Um, <laughs> oh God. Weddings. Do you know how many weddings you had in the bill? Oh, okay. Well, I know that I had a fiance when I joined, but I didn't marry him. Then I married Luke Ashton and had a proper wedding dress made for me and everything by a proper. Then I, Cameron proposed to me on a bridge. I think I married him though. No, I didn't. Yeah, so you've been married once. Yeah, I Actually, think I've had one wedding. This could lead into another question. Three fiancés. Have you been brides? Have you been a bride for many things in your career? Because I've had so many wedding dresses. Have you? Different things, yeah. But I've not actually been married. <laughs> really? Yeah, you've done. You sang at your wedding. Oh, my real wedding. Your rat. I remember Snow Patrol. Yeah, I sang Tracing Cars. You were amazing. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> I've been killed a lot. I've been killed off a lot. Killed a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that takes me to what was that series you did up in Blackpool? Funland. Funland was. Um, I just loved that. That was completely off the wall. It was completely. It was amazing. There were some amazing people in it as well. Yeah, you yeah. were you were rocking in that. Thank you. Okay, so if you had a choice, would it be a day at the museum or would you prefer to go to a music gig? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. If you had to choose one. Well, the problem is with me. <laughs> I'm basically a granny. So I want to say... A music gig because you would say music gig because you're really cool and I love music <laughs> and if someone said to me like a friend or a boyfriend said to me do you want to come to a gig I'd get really excited about it but then the nearer it gets to the evening I start thinking oh I don't really want to go out and, and, and Eliza never wants me to go out <laughs> just, and I'd be like 
oh, it's such an effort. So probably the museum, because the museum thing you don't do very often. You know, when you uh, we're not very good at treating ourselves sometimes. So things like as an actor, you're allowed to go to the cinema or a, pl- a play, a matinee in the afternoon, or because it's research. And it's same like with going to a museum. It's kind of, you know, it's expanding your brain. And, and I love Van Gogh. So I remember having a magical day going to an exhibition, a Van Gogh exhibition, and thinking, why don't I do this more often? So that really always feels like you're bunking off school. So I do love that. And also it's in the day, so I'm not feeling tired. But I mean, I feel really like a nerd saying that because... It's not, why? Well, the it's much to say a music gig. But I just... Yeah, just such an No, they're, just, they're both as empowering as the other, really, aren't they? Because mm-hmm. it's a spectacle, the whole thing anyway. Live mm-hmm. music is one thing, but seeing art, you know, just in, immersing yourself in any of it is is what we love. And we're so lucky that we can go and do that. Are you a tea or a coffee person? Coffee! I've got a sign in my kitchen. Well, first I have the coffee and then I do the things. And I always, when Eliza's yabbering on at me in the morning, I'll go... Point to the sign. Like, there's my cat. Look. Oh, let's look at your cat. No, oh, look at your beautiful cat. What's her name or his name? Boy, why is he got his face? Tinker. Oh, Tinker. Oh, Tinker. 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 Did you eat Beth's jeans? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing these jeans. They were chosen for me by a 14 year old. They're very inappropriate for someone in their 40s. But I'm wearing them because it's really warm today. But I was a bit too scared to wear shorts. So it's like you can air yeah. over your knees. <laughs> <laughs> a gentle break into summer. Feeling <laughs> the legs. Oh, you've just started. You're doing a fit camp thing, aren't you? It's amazing. Riptide. Oh, my God. Oh, Nat, you have to come. Honestly, no, no, no. it's I the best. No, no, because it's the because I hate... I used to do loads of exercise when I was younger and now I just don't do anything. And then the less exercise you do, the more you just end up staring at, you know. And the only way I've been able to go is by making a date with another like mum who say like, are you going to be there? And I'll go, yeah. And then I sign <laughs> up and text me going, oh, are you going to be there? So yesterday I was 10 minutes late. She was like, I started going when I came down to Brighton because it really, everyone always says, doesn't it? It really helps with anxiety. And I, well, I know that but I quite often don't do exercise and then just become more and more anxious um, until someone like my mum goes, go for a run! <laughs> <laughs> and it's so brilliant. Oh my God, it's circuits and you sort of run around and he has brilliant music and he's just really smiling. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, well done you because it is, it's that, oh, it's a huge yeah. hurdle to get going again. But I remember doing those things when I was living in Hove there was this great women's group and I was just like, oh, they, they're having such fun. I need to join them. And I used to walk the dog and we'd walk and talk and I'd be seeing what exercises they were doing. And I was like, right, I'm going to do this. And then I just seriously, I could not walk, Beth. I injured <laughs> my ankle. I injured my other knee. And it was just like the, not the exercise for me. So I know you're younger than me. So good luck. Keep going I'm on. Not I, I couldn't do it. I've just sort of, I'm back going back into the sea very shortly. Are you? I've got the shoes. I've got the ridiculous hat. You've got the wetsuit? Or are you going to do it like? No, because I think you just need to 
get in there and do it. Because now on a day like this, I think I could. And I do lots of walking and I've yeah. been just trying to do this, the gentle things. But again, coming out of lockdown, that was that was hard. Suze was talking about doing um, the Joe Wicks program. Now she's sort of, you know, gold belt, whatever. <laughs> you know, she's at a, a high end of it. I couldn't do that because I just hate, what are those things? Burpees. Oh, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't forget that. that. I hate burpees. I, hate burpees. <laughs> I can't do that. So when, when you said you were doing that stuff in the park, they're the things. I was like, oh, I can't do that. And there was this thing. Do you have to do the step up on the bench? You know when they step up on a real No, he doesn't need that. He does. It's stuff like pushing thing along the grass like a sled and, and pull yourself up ropes and... It's, Ooh. it's really good. It's really good. It's not like a normal kind of, it's, and you're running around outside. I spend most of the time in hysterics because right. I find the whole, like we had to do bananas on the floor and I just was making myself laugh. So I was basically just, I was like, I don't know I'm doing this right. I was just rolling around. My What's arms a banana? Well, you put your arms up and your legs up and then you sort of roll around and it's for your core. And but you're I, paying for this. It's becoming <laughs> delirious. You're paying for this to be a banana in the park. <laughs> I love it. Okay, if you had to choose, would it be Tate or Klein? Tate or Klein? Yeah, would it be Tate or Klein? Tate or Nick it can Klein. be a quick answer. Oh, I'd have to. I have to say Cameron Tate, don't I? I mean, I went oh, out with Daniel for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> What's the weirdest place you've been recognised in? I'll give you an example. I was in Sri Lanka. Oh, I minding my own business. And I went to a like a tea plantation afternoon in the middle of, you know, just on the incredible place in the middle of nowhere. And after you've been taken around how they make the tea and, it, it changes your mind about tea, just like if yeah. you were looking at coffee. And then we're sat there just going, this is incredible. And then this little couple that was sat in the corner went, excuse me, were you that Debbie McAllister from the... And I was like, how did you... That is ridiculous. Wow. We're in the middle of Sri Lanka. Fantastic. And I had a picture with them and they're a really sweet couple. So have you had any weird, like, incredible encounters where you've just been blown away by people's memories the bill fans are incredible yeah they are incredible oh my favorite yeah my best one is my claim to fame story which is <clears throat> probably one of the best moments of my life i was waiting to go on to do this morning to talk about kerry's death because it was the week that i was leaving the bill and i look i was on the phone to my grandpa and i looked up and standing in the doorway was roger moore and he was <laughs> and he was going and I was like grabs I've got to go watching more standing in the door James Bond is in the doorway and I went hello and he went I'm your biggest fan me and my wife we watch the bill religiously because I think they were living in Switzerland or something and he said we watch it religiously we love you we love you oh. and I was completely overwhelmed I was like you're my biggest fan I can speak I was just going wow wow Wow! And he went, what are you doing here? And I went, well, my character's about to die. So, um, <laughs> so and he went, what? <laughs> and then he went on 
to film his, which was a pre-record, and said something. It all went wrong because he said something about, well, I've just met Kerry Young and she's told me she's going to die and totally... (laughs) (laughs) Roger Moore blew your story. How incredible is that? I know, but isn't that just the best? I mean, and also because he was my James Bond, you know, how everyone has their... Like some people, it's it was more Sean Connery or whoever. And I just, yeah, I loved him. So... It was amazing. It was amazing. So that's sort of you said. We think, well, that's it. I can, I can give up now and die happy because Roger Moore told me. Really shat on my Sri Lanka story. No, we didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a really good James Bond story though. Okay, way back when I was probably about nineteen, I was invited by this chap to go to the Bond set at uh, Pinewood. And it was, it was Dalton. Okay, Timothy Dalton, yeah. Timothy Dalton. He was the, he did, only did one, I think, didn't he? Yeah, we need Ben Payton yeah. here. But yeah, I think he only did one. Yeah. And so I was on the set and I watched a few scenes and I was just like, wow, I've been on a Bond set. And then cut to, I got a job in, it was filming a week in Amsterdam and a week in Zagreb. And the journey over to Zagreb, they had to be really careful. So they had to, because the United Nations, it was all to do with, you know, there was some problems out that way. And I can't remember which year it was. It would have been the 90s. I didn't know who I was going to be meeting the other end. I just knew I was being taken across borders. I had to hand over my passport, a white limousine. There was food. We were going to be driving hours and it was just, it felt like a bomb film in itself, you know, trying to get to set wherever this was in the middle of, in, we, in Graz. We got to Graz, I took a small plane, I back in another limo and we, it was just like, wow. And I arrived and there were tanks parked outside the Intercontinental Hotel and I walked in and there was Pierce Brosnan. <sighs> and I was like, you know, he's just like, Huh? Am I doing my scenes with you? It literally was. He was so down to earth. He was just oh. a totally normal guy. He was. Why are so you doing your scenes with him? I was doing all my scenes with him. Not all my scenes, but yeah, a few of my scenes. So, yeah, that's my Bond story. That's so lovely, isn't it? I remember one of my very first jobs was a tiny, tiny part on a film called Two Men Went to War. I literally had to say yes, sir. I was playing a secretary in a war office. And I arrived and oh, I'm still like, you know, totally overexcited by anything. And like, so, and I had a little caravan that was a trailer. And I was, I remember ringing my mum and dad and going, there's a loo, I've got a loo and all this. And, and, and I picked up the call sheets and on the call sheet, my scenes, the guy that I was, had my yes sir to, <laughs> Derek Dacoby. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Fantastic! It's brilliant, and yeah, oh, you know, those it's, moments. It's that thing, isn't it? If you kind of go, well, maybe that's why we're not film stars because we're just too overexcited by everything. But by I also think, well, you know, why not enjoy it? Really excited by life. And I remember the the life. phone going in my room in that in that hotel, and it was him on the phone saying, "Meet me for dinner." Oh my god! You know, and I I did the same. I phoned my mum. I was like, "Guess what? Pierce Russell's just phoned me. We're, we're meeting for dinner." Obviously, I got the reality because he was with Keely. He married her and they had two kids and she was around as well. And she was absolutely gorgeous. But it was, uh, 
yeah, those little moments. We're so lucky. Uh, yeah. So lucky. Who is your favourite James Bond? Hmm. It's Pierce Brosnan for me. He was lovely to work with. There's lots more Bill Chat to come in part three of my chat with Beth. If you don't want to wait until next month, you can unlock part three now on patreon.com forward slash the bill podcast. Now, before I hand you over to the lovely Andrew McIntosh to read our closing credits, I thought I'd play you a clip from our fiction podcast, Letter from Helvetica. I play Abigail Wesley, a talented botanist on a year-long research mission to the South Pacific. Here, Abby writes to John to tell him about the quirky bathroom facilities on the remote island of Babango. The toilet is worthy of a whole letter to itself. Actually, it's worth a whole research paper. It is contained within a sweet little hut, which stands high upon a platform, a few yards away from the main building. It has a little chimney perched jauntily on the roof, and a wooden staircase at the front leads to a door made from the ubiquitous bamboo. Inside, there is what looks like a fairly conventional toilet, but it is underneath where the magic is woven. You can listen to all eight episodes of Letter from Helvetica for free wherever you enjoy the Bill podcast. We've had some lovely feedback and we'd love to hear what you think. Huge thanks to our lovely patrons who support the Bill podcast. Let's celebrate them as Andy reads our closing credits. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Hello, this is Andrew McIntosh, and you have been listening to The Bill Podcast. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk The Bill Podcast is presented by the fabulous Natalie Rolls. Produced by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Ben Adams, Glenn Allen, Rob Cook, Sarah Kuiper, Maz Mirabilis, Alex Mockler and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Ben Ashmore, Simon Banstead, Craig Beresford, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, Dan Evans, George Fairbrother, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Ledane, Lucy McNeil, Gary Moncur, Claire Norbury, Laura Penny Fay, Michael Seeley, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Patrick Stratford, Michael Weil, and Sarah Went. The theme music is composed by Matthew Annis. For over 80 hours of exclusive The Bill podcast content, including cast and crew commentaries, reunions, reactions, 
pilgrimages, and much more, join the investigation. Patreon.com forward slash The Bill Podcast. Oh, you lucky devils.